When people think about sales, they think about that sleazy car salesperson trying to sell you something you don't want. Now, Sarah Stockdale, CEO of Grow Class, disagrees with this. When we talk about growth, people are talking about hacks or they're talking about, you know, how to dupe someone or persuade someone into doing something. And when I think about sales, it's really just doing your job so that you are connecting folks to a solution that's going to solve a problem that they have and being really great at empathizing with those customers and articulating that problem so they can see themselves in the solution. In this Marketing Pops episode, you learn first two exercises to help you improve your website copy. Second, an example of a company that has done such a great job with a website copy. Third, the power of storytelling and creating an enemy and building that up against your customer and helping them win that. And number four, why building a personal audience is a must for marketers. Now, before we get started, I've created a free power-up cheat sheet that you can download and apply Sarah's three tips to write copy that sells. You can find that at marketingpowerups.com or in the show notes and description below. Are you ready? Let's go. Marketing power-ups. Ready? Go! Here's your host, Bradley John. We're going to be talking about writing copy that sales uh, that really sells you have this like definition of sales that i really love you add this presentation that i'll I'll link in the description and show notes you know when people think about sales they typically think of like sleazy salespeople. but like that is a misconception according to you i'm curious what is selling to you Yeah, I think so. A lot of the time when we talk about growth, people are talking about hacks or they're talking about, you know, how to dupe someone or persuade someone into doing something. And when I think about sales, it's really just doing your job so that you are connecting folks to a solution that's going to solve a problem that they have and being really great at empathizing with those customers and articulating that problem so they can see themselves in the solution. Um, so really, when you're selling, you're just you're just connecting those two things together. You're connecting the people who need help with the help that they need. And it's that's such a good definition where sales is about helping. Like you're helping yeah. them solve a problem. Essentially, what is what you're talking about? Yeah, I think people think about sales as extractive, right? I'm taking money from someone. I'm taking something away from them. And I like to think of it as additive. I'm providing a service. Wow. I'm providing value. I'm doing something in service of this person. And if you're selling something terrible, then yeah, it's going to feel sketchy, but I don't want to sell. I don't want to work for companies. I don't want to mentor and train marketers that are going to go and sell things that aren't adding real value to their customers. That's so, that's a, uh, such a great like frame shift where it's more of an additive experience and really trying to understand the, you know, the person's problems and how your product can help solve that specific problem is what you're really getting at. And that's where like the copy that you talked about, like copy that sells really comes in. It's really about understanding what the problem is. I'm, I'm not going to, uh, you know, like, you know, what is that? Like really break, break, yeah, share it too much. I'll let you share it on its own. But, you know, first one's really about making people feel seen. And you have this really great exercise. I love it so much. I don't want to spoil it. It's called the we exercise. Like what is, what is this we exercise uh, that you mentioned in this presentation? Yeah. So it's a super simple, like two minute thing that any marketer or brand can do to just gut check whether or not your marketing 
is in communication, is in conversation with your customer. So what I want you to do is open up a Google Doc, blank Google Mm. Doc, copy and paste all of the copy from your homepage, from your recent sales email, from your ad campaign, whatever it is that you're working on. Paste that into the Google Doc. Then control find for the words we, us, or our. Um, And highlight every time you talk about yourself or you're talking in the third person. Um, Because when someone is arriving at your homepage or when someone is reading your sales email, they are having a one-to-one experience. They are talking, you, you are talking to one person. They are sitting alone at their laptop or they're sitting on the subway looking at their phone. Um, they're not in a collective and they expect to be spoken to, not spoken about. Um, and so what you're going to do with all of these sentences where you've got we, us, an hour, is you're just going to highlight those and you're going to change that to second person narration. You're going to change that to you copy. So you are speaking directly to your customer. This is your pain. This is what you are going through. This is what you are experiencing. And once you make that very honestly easy, simple, quick shift, folks are going to start feeling like you are speaking directly to them. You're speaking about their problems and your copy is going to resonate so much more with folks. Um, It's going to feel less like a company talking about me and more like a person talking to me. Mm. And that is really like driving home that point that when you use the you, uh, uh, the second person uh, version of that, it makes people feel, you're talking about it, you're, it makes people feel seen. It makes people feel like they get, that person, that company, that brand gets me, gets my yeah. problem, exactly what you're saying here. And I think there's like, there's hesitation sometimes around mm. speaking directly to one person. Yeah. Um, because brands are like, well, we have these like three user demographics that we're going after. Yeah. And so we're kind of trying to speak to all of them. We're kind of trying to, you know, we're speaking in third person narration about ourselves and our features because we don't want to alienate anyone by speaking directly about a specific problem set. And if you're speaking, if you're, if, you know, if you're speaking to three people, you end up speaking to no one. Mm. Um, so you really so have good. to choose. And like I'm saying that to myself, it's really, really hard. Uh, when you are trying to sell something, to choose a person and write just to that person. <laughs> but we, you know, I have a couple of folks from the Grow Class community that like Maya, hey Maya, if you're watching this, um, I write to you um, all the time because that is, you know, that's like the core person that we want to be solving problems for. And what you just said there is interesting because I'm guessing Maya's a real Maya's a real person, right? And you're yes. you're talking to a real you're talking you're imagining yourself talking to a real person versus a, this made up like persona or this thing that yeah. you have created of your ideal uh, you know buyer versus like if you know if you can hear them talk and actually see them maybe you you've already chatted with them in the past that makes it more real rather than this made up thing is what I just got from what you said there. Yeah. Yeah. User personas are only useful um, if they are tied to reality. Like if they Mm. are tied to a real human experience of an actual customer who you intend to target into the future and who has had a delightful experience with your product. Like this is a person you have solved a problem for and you know there's more of them out there. Um, You know that there is enough of a market of people resembling the real person that you've had real conversations with and that you actually understand sure you you can absolutely build a buying persona around that 
Um, the buying personas that fail are the ones that are just like, uh, you know, Mark is between the ages of 22 and 35. He works in finance downtown and takes the subway to work. Mark has 1.2 children. Like, Mark doesn't exist. Mark's not real. Like, Mark right. doesn't give a shit. It, so we, right. need, we need real humans to, to have real yeah. conversations with. That's so good. And it really, like, drives home the point that, um, you know, it's important for us marketers to, sometimes there's this wall between, like, marketers and then the customers and then having that maybe some a few conversations make it more real because there's that human connection like you've seen you know you chatted with maya you've chatted with that buyer and it makes it more real rather than mark with 1.2 how do you even get 0.2 kids there I, I worked with the bank when i was consulting that one of their um personas had 2.5 children 2.5 couldn't couldn't just choose couldn't just choose we just took the we took the average so yeah. good and this whole discussion about having that you statement i feel like that drives the second tip that you provided around really tapping into people's emotion you have you're you're so good at like exercises because this is the one that you have around customer storytelling exercise what is that and how does that tie back to like tapping into that people's emotions yeah, I would say it, like some marketers find the, these exercises really challenging. When you say, I want you to shift into second person narration and speak directly to the pain and the story of a specific customer, uh, it's hard to conjure that image in their head if they haven't done this kind of work. So what I what I always ask people to answer is like, if your customer, if the person that you're trying to talk to in your marketing woke up at 3 a.m. thinking about something to do with the pain that you're trying to solve. What is that anxiety? What does that, what is that voice in their head telling them? Um, and so what that forces you to do is this kind of extreme empathy with your customer. So right. like not only why do they use my product, what might they be doing when they use my product, um, but what... Uh, what is the moment of fear or pain or anxiety that they are having in their most vulnerable moment that you are set up to help solve for them? And then what is the context that they're in when they're seeking for this, that seeking the solution? What emotions are they feeling? What are they hoping their life looks like after? A lot of the time we are talking about, um, you know, features and you know, demonstrating the the capabilities of a product when really all that person wants to know is like, is my life going to be a little bit better after this? Like, wow. is this annoying thing going to go away? Are you going to help me pull this sliver out of my toe? Yeah. And so you really need to know what that sliver is and what it feels like to have it so that you can articulate what that solution is going to be like for that person. It ties back to a LinkedIn post you, you wrote around knowing that customers drag in. <laughs> it is so good because like it brings up ideas of King Arthur and like Shrek and the dragon. <laughs> Shrek. I love it. And like really knowing your customer dragon and this storytelling exercise you're talking about is like what is that the big I guess the biggest dragon that they have at that <laughs> moment that keeps them up at night is is really what you're talking about there. Yeah, and, and to be honest, like that conflict doesn't have to be when I say dragon, I think people think like it has to be this like big <laughs> ridiculous pain and then someone's like i'm selling hair extensions like what pain 
What pain are you talking about? So what you have to do is like get into the moment of tension where that person is looking for a solution to a problem. And maybe that problem is just like, my ponytail looks thin and I want it to look great. And that's going to enable this confidence for me to go to this wedding next week and then my ex-boyfriend's going to be at. And I'm going to feel great. And so that's enough tension that you can dig in and find a story and tell a story to that person that's going to resonate with their current, where they're at and teach them about what that transformation could look like for them. And what you just said there about the hair extension, feeling that confidence and like making me look, I'm not sure. (laughs) That confidence builder is like so important. I think people, especially in B2B, they have, there's often this uh, hesitation to, you know, my my buyer is logical. They go through this shit. No buyer is logical. Everyone is emotional. No buyer is logical. I promise you. I know people want to seem emotional. Uh, they can think of themselves as emotional, and that's something that you should know as a marketer. But no one is buying from a place of logic. Everyone is buying from a place of feeling and emotion. That's so true. I think that that's. I was gonna ask you a follow up to that. Like, what would you say to somebody who says that my bias logical? You're saying that there are people also have the emotion. The people even B two B when they buy together as a, as a group with stakeholders, there's also that emotional part of like I don't want to look like a, a fool in front of my boss. Yes, yeah, it's- yeah. The fear of looking silly or the fear of being perceived as less intelligent or less successful than someone is a real thing that we have to think about, especially in B two B SaaS. The other thing is too, like people aren't. Like when you are working at a company in a B2B scenario where you might be buying software, maybe you are thinking big picture. Maybe you are thinking about the impact of this software on every single team member and how it's going to integrate into your work. Sure. Maybe you're thinking about those things. You're probably thinking about your bonus. You're probably Mm. thinking about your promotion. You're probably thinking about what are the three things that my boss told me I have to do so that I can get into the next salary band. So B2B marketers need to understand what those motivations are. They need to understand the person who is pulling out the credit card and making this purchase, what are they being measured on? How are you going to help them look good? How are you going to stroke their ego? How are you going to make them appear smarter or more successful to their boss? Because that is human motivation. We, we want to look good. We want to do well. We want to be perceived as intelligent and successful. And you should be enabling that at every level of your marketing for your customer. That's so good. I think people don't realize that there's that. I guess it goes back to the beginning where like you talking to real buyers make you realize <laughs> like, you know, like they ha- they want to get promoted. They want maybe even this time they want to keep their job. So, so mm-hmm. you know, what's happening with uh, the tech world where like, yeah. I want to make sure I make the right choice here or else I might not, you know, I might be part of the next round of layoffs so that's really important yeah in terms of like a company that's like you doing this well do you have uh, an example of a homepage or uh, that yeah. is really focused on making the audience feel seen and tapping into that emotional as well as that social factors that we've been talking about yeah absolutely and there's um so this is going back a little bit i don't know if this is still their current homepage and to be honest, there's been some political stuff with this company. So like I'm not endorsing this product at all. But Basecamp at some point hired a really great copywriter. And mm. this person understands 
not only you copy, they speak in second person narration really well. They speak directly to their core user, but they use a really great copywriting trick um, called the before and after trick. So in Grow Class, we talk a lot about how um, you are, as the marketer, as the company, you are not Luke in this. You, right. you, don't, you don't get to be Dorothy in the story of Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Um, you don't get to be the protagonist of the copy that you're writing. But that's not your role in the story. You, no one wants to read a story about a B2B SaaS software as the protagonist. Your customer is the protagonist of this story. Mm. What you get to be as the company, which is, I think, a very fun role, is you get to be Glinda the Good Witch. You get to yeah. be Yoda. You are the person in this story that is enabling the success and the development of the protagonist. You are removing obstacles for them. You are waving a magic wand and making things better for them. Um, you are helping them pave, pave a path. And so when I think about before and after copy, like what Basecamp did, what they are showing is, here is the conflict or the tension or the problem that you're currently experiencing. Let me wave my magic wand and show you what it could look like if you had access to this software or access to this product. So what they do really well is instead of saying, you know, we're productivity software for your teams and we have these features, they say right now you feel really disorganized. You feel like your work is all over the place. You don't know where to find things. It feels like chaos. And you, you create that tension and that conflict and you put your customer back into the moment when they feel that most acutely. And then you give them the option of transformation. You say, here's what this could look like instead. And then you lay out a different version of how their life could look after. And that's the Galinda the Good Witch. I've waved my magic wand. Something has changed for you, and now this is what we're enabling in terms of transformation for this customer. Before I continue, I want to thank the sponsor for this episode, 42 Agency. Now, when you're in scale-up growth mode and you have to hit your KPIs, the pressure is on to deliver demos and signups, and it's a lot to handle. There's demand gen, email sequences, RevOps, and more. And that's where 42 Agency, founded by my good friend Camille Rexton, can help you. They're a strategic partner that's helped B2B SaaS companies like ProfitWall, Teamwork, Sprout Social, and HubDoc to build a predictable revenue engine. If you're looking for performance experts and creatives to solve your marketing growth problems today and help you build the foundations for the future, look no further. Visit 42agency.com to talk to a strategist right now to learn how you can build a high-efficiency revenue engine. Thank you also to the sponsor for this episode, HRS Free Webmaster Tools. Now, if you want to rank your website higher in search engines, you have to make sure that your website doesn't have any technical SEO issues. Because if you do, that's like trying to run a race with your shoes tied together. That's how you lose, and we don't want that. Luckily, HRS Free Webmaster Tools can crawl up to 5,000 pages to find 140 common technical SEO issues that could be holding your site back from generating valuable traffic can also help you find your strongest backlinks as well as analyze keywords you're ranking for and see keyword search volume and ranking difficulty for each of those keywords. You can sign up for free at hrefs.com forward slash webmaster tools or find the link in the description and show notes. Well, let's get back to the episode. That's so good. I, I love that example. You also, I, I mean, I'm I'm uh, shouting out grow classes here as well. I'm on the homepage right now. And you apply the same like approach where 
no, halfway down the page, it says, you're feeling unsupported at work. And then there's this quote from Jess Piccolotto from Bolt. It says, I feel like I've found my people. And you're really talking about that before and after here. I guess yeah. it's very deliberate, uh, this approach uh, to the homepage that you have uh, uh, on Growcast homepage. Yeah, it's very much the story of a lot of our customers, which is, you know, I'm a solo marketer at work or I'm part of this team, but I don't really feel like I'm being invested in, in terms of my education. A lot of the time I feel out of my depth. My boss will mm. ask me to do something or I'll, you know, be given a project at work. Nobody really, you know, at startups, you know this, like nobody really tells you how to do things or trains you or helps you in any way. So you're like, I, I kind of feel like I'm out of my own here. I know right. I'm smart. I know I'm good at this. I, I literally just need a support network yeah. and some hard skills training. Um, and that's what Grow Class is. Mm. So a, again, taking the, a very common customer story that we have, writing that narrative, putting them back in that moment of tension and then saying like, hey, we can actually resolve that tension for you. And going yeah. back to like, coming to this from a place of authenticity and, and values alignment, like we have the receipts. We know we can actually do that yeah. for people. So I, I wouldn't be, yeah, I wouldn't be writing that story if it was an aspirational story. I know we can yeah. do that for people. We have the receipts. We have the testimonials. We have mm. the, the, the data to support it. Um, so that's, again, like you can do a lot of black magic with good copy. And I yeah. really want people to use, use these tools for good. When you're talking about a receipt, like, Two thirds on the page here, like average salary increase for grow class grads, twenty seven thousand six. That's such a powerful, like um, I guess social proof or proof on its own, showing uh, that that value that receipt you're talking about. That you you you're backing up what you're saying with uh, with these words. Where I guess I also want to call it one thing that I really uh, love that is on this page. He says, you deserve to make more money and feel good about your career. I feel like yes. that goes back to, to Yoda. You're talking about that, you know, we're on your side. <laughs> Yoda yeah. is on Luke's side. Like, I'm, we're, like we're, we want you to win and we're on your side. Exactly that copy is saying that right there. You deserve yeah, more like money. Our, my, my entire job, my entire team's job is to make that real for as many people as we possibly can. Mm. And that means finding the right people that are going to be successful inside of Grow Class. That means supporting the hell out of the people who join us and giving them access to as many tools and resources as ne and network as we possibly can. There's a lot of online courses. So that's also like objection statement busting because a lot of people have like had bad experiences with online courses. Right. And like, fair, that's not our fault, but it is our problem. Like we have mm. to differentiate and provide the proof and the receipts and the results. Um, and then again, like provide people a way out. So another thing that I recommend a lot of the time for copywriting is if you are in an industry, like we're in online course sales, you know how many bad marketing courses exist on the internet. Uh, so do I. It's a mess out there. So we have a 14-day money-back guarantee. Yeah, We've never had anyone ask for it. But we would willingly give it to anyone if they asked for their money back because we know you need to feel safe when you're making a big purchase, especially if you've been burned before. And yeah. and that's that's our responsibility to make sure that you feel safe. You mentioned something there that we, we didn't touch upon about how everything, uh, some of the stuff you talked so far is about handling that objection 
without yeah. like mentioning the objection itself. You're talking yeah. about like, you know, we have the receipts to back it up speaks to the objection that you just said you've been burned by a bunch of people have been burned by bad marketing courses in the past and you're like directly yes. handling objections there. Yeah, that's that's another thing that I would say, like to write really great copy that's going to convert and sell your customers. You have to not only be aware of their their problems, their pain, the context that they're in, how they're feeling when they're experiencing the problems that you're solving. You also have to be aware of all of the reasons they say no, all of the very legitimate reasons that they wouldn't buy from you. Um, and if you don't have an answer for each of those things, then your job is to go out and find that answer or create that answer um, so that you can have uh, a really you know, authentic way of speaking to those, you know, potential objections and, and handling them um, in a way that is, you know, values aligned and true. So, like, if if someone asks for their money back, we'll give it to them. Like, that's so just good. like, it's true. Um, so, and and those, and, and understanding not only like someone saying, oh, your software is too expensive because that's what people say all the time. What's behind that? Um, what is what is driving the feeling of scarcity that they have? Is it the the marketing budget got cut? Is it that their team is being laid off? Is it that you are only providing yearly versus monthly payment options? Like, what does too expensive mean to that person? And then how can you pick that apart and build a different story for them? And part of that uh, objection around expensive often is like, I don't feel like I'm going to get the value in return out of this payment, what I'm paying. And you, right? Like, that's why the receipt part is so good because it's right below, like right below it where like, sure, it costs you this much, but like your return on average that we found of our students is 27600 And then in my brain is like, okay, that's, you know, if I put in this much, I get 10 times, like, that's no brain. That's a no brain <laughs> decision. Exactly what you did there. Uh, your your team did with that specific cop. That's what you're saying. Yeah, it's the 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 expensive, exactly what you said. Like, when the objection is that something is too expensive, it doesn't always mean that your pricing is wrong. Mm. Sometimes it means that your positioning is wrong in the market. Mm. Or you haven't justified the expense. To that customer you haven't given them enough value in exchange because again it's not extractive it's additive you should yeah, you good. should be giving back 10x of what you are taking uh yeah it's going back full circle to the uh, very beginning here <laughs> <laughs> well thank you for sharing i want to shift gears and talk about career power-ups those are things that help accelerate your career you know you've been in marketing now for well, you mentioned over 13 years you've had stints at ted talks as director of sponsorship Tilt.com as head of growth before they got acquired by Airbnb. And now you're CEO and founder of Grow Class. What's a power-up that's helped accelerate your career, that's helped you uh, level up in terms of your, your career so far? I would say the, the thing that has helped me the very most has been relationships. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people say, you know, my network. I don't really think of it that way. Because again, like going back to what we were chatting about earlier, um, Network feels, uh, the, the word feels a little bit more transactional than the yeah. way I like to think about it. Um, I like to think about um, how do I build intentional relationships where we can add value to each other through our careers 
and we can just jam and have fun and help each other and just make friends. So mm. to be honest, like when I was really, really early in my career, I would go to all of these networking events in tech where I was one of the only women in these rooms because this was yeah. a very long time ago. Um, but I, I, was, I was there because I was trying to learn how to do my job. I wasn't there because I was trying to build a network or make friends, but it was like a, a byproduct of just being in those rooms all the time. Is like I just made all these friends with these really smart, incredible, lovely humans who I'm still in touch with now. And yeah. the, the world in marketing, in tech, is a very small town. It feels very big when you first right. enter it. It's a very, very small town. Um, and I grew up in a very small town, so I know what those dynamics are like. Um, so treating your career like a small town and treating all of the people that you interact with as more than a network, as potential friends and investing in those relationships, um, that is going to show up for you in so many incredible ways that you are not going to expect. Um, so yeah go out and make a whole bunch of friends is <laughs> is the so is good. the um yeah is the best thing that i i did for my career so that i'm good. grateful to my past yeah. self for when you think about you met you said the network sounds the word network sounds so weird like when you think about network you think about computers and there is yeah. almost like that lack of humanness yeah. <laughs> yeah. right it, it, it the the term like networking makes me think of like business school when everyone was like mm. trying to like how many business cards can I hand out and like now we, we live well, in a world where business cards don't make sense just, yeah um but but uh no one in business school tells you to go make a bunch of friends right it might be a weird question in terms of like you know, how how do you how do you make friends is it a I know it myself, but for people who are in the, uh, who are who might be early in their career, who is tuning in, uh, is it about finding connections like hobbies outside of work, or like uh, any, anything else you advise on how people can find meet make that real connection instead of like the business card transaction that we might have learned in school? Like, I think you're like the most perfect example of this. Like, just be insatiably curious about other people. Mm. Um, I think when you're when you're out, you know, whether or not it's at a tech event or just having coffee with someone, um, a lot of people think that their job is to come off as impressive, um, right. which means that they talk a lot. Um, and that's OK. But the, the way to develop a relationship is to deeply care about the experiences of the other person and get really curious about who that person is and what motivates them and what they care about. And what that's going to give you is the ability to help them because you're going to know what they need. Um, so that's, uh, that is what creates that authentic relationship, mm -hmm. that like authentic curiosity about the people that you interact with in your career. And then the, the work that it takes to, to maintain those relationships and check in on those people and see how you can be a value to them, you know, past that one interaction. That's so good. So I feel like that applies to what we just talked about before. We're like, you caring about buyers. <laughs> And being curious about it, and and it's it's almost like you're trying you're building that relationship even with that buyer, so that you can speak deeper uh, on a deeper level with there. That's uh, such a good tip there. Appreciate that. Yeah. In terms of one final question, if if you can give yourself your younger self a piece of advice, it could be one advice or two pieces of advice or however many you would want. What would be something that you would like share? 
travel back in time and then give a younger version of Sarah as a, <laughs> as an advice. It could be about career, it could be around marketing, it could be about life, but it would be that advice you'd give your younger you. Yeah. I think for a long time growing up in organizations that were engineering focused, I felt like when we were talking about before, like you have to appeal to the logic. I really felt that the superpowers that that I felt like I had as a, a young marketer and, you know, empathy and customer development and um, writing, I really, uh, I guess I didn't value those things mm. about my skill set. And I thought that in order to be successful in these organizations, that I had to be the hardcore growth hacker, that I had to, you know, get really wonky about data. And I did, and I learned SQL, and I did all those things. But the the superpowers that kept coming up and kept giving me opportunities were the the things that I was naturally good at, writing, taking care of people, empathizing with people, building community. Mm. Um, and I didn't value those skills. And I, I spent a lot of time trying to be a different kind of marketer. Um, and I just hope that folks just take advantage of the things that come naturally to you and um, don't feel like because you're not a wonky experimental growth hacker right. uh, in a blue Patagonia vest, you know, <laughs> turning out over pivot tables and right. SQL, um, that you are any less valuable. Um, your mm. skill set, that the things that come naturally will, will help. Um, and then I think the only other thing is just like, yeah, make, make friends, be kind to people, be good to people. Mm. Don't be afraid to be cringy. Because those are the, those are the, the you you have to fail in public. You have to you have to build your career in public. And if right. you're so scared to be cringy, you're never going to connect with anyone or build an audience or do anything interesting. So be cringy. I feel like, I feel like there's a story there with being cringy. Like, what's <laughs> what's a? Do you have like a story of being cringy that like helped you build that relationship or that that next yeah. level? Well, I like I write a personal newsletter called We Need mm. to Talk About This. And, and I also build you. Grow Class. Oh no, I'll go um <laughs> I also build Grow Class. And I think uh I think a lot of just like putting yourself out there, putting your ideas out there, um trying new platforms, trying different things. Like sometimes you're gonna, you know, post on LinkedIn to absolute crickets or you're going to start building a newsletter and, you know, it doesn't it doesn't work the first time. And I think there was a, a long time early in my career that I was really hard. I was really scared to be seen trying and failing. Like that was that was scary to be seen trying something that maybe wouldn't work. And that's the only way that you do anything. So um I think it's really cool to be seen trying. I want to see more people actively trying to build audiences or actively trying to improve their writing or to make connections like it's cool to try um that's not cringy and i'm i, I want to see everyone's like unfinished unpolished effort right online that's so good how how do you get over sometimes when i post on linkedin still i have like this um i guess like hesitation like oh man what would people think about about me and you seems like you you're is it doing it more often? Like, get, helps you get over that that, that fear, or uh, what kind of advice would you have for people who are like, I don't want to, I don't want to get over that cringiness, so to speak. I think honestly, the the best thing that I that I've learned about 
building audience online is if it doesn't work, no one saw it. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> like That's it didn't work true. because no one saw it. Like you're like, yeah. oh, I'm so scared. Everyone's going to see me fail. No one saw it. The algorithm didn't show it to anyone because um, it, it wasn't good or it was the wrong time on Wednesday. Like it doesn't matter why. But if it if it didn't work, then no one saw it. And that's there's like freedom in that. Um, and then at the same time, anyone who would watch you try and fail in public and cringe at that is not a person who's ever going to support you in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't want anyone to hold back their gifts and the things that they might be able to offer a potential audience or, you know, a young marketer who needs to hear the pep talk or the, the tool that they really could use that would really help them in their career. I don't want you to hold back what you can offer um, because some girl from high school might like make a face when she reads Mm. it because who cares? That person was never going to be in support of you um, to begin with. So yeah, get caught, get caught trying. Get caught trying. I love that. And I love that advice. Like if it doesn't work, nobody really, you know, Nobody really saw it anyway. That's, that's the nature of <laughs> algorithms, right? Like if, it, if it's crickets, then the crickets mean no one saw it. So yeah. that's fine. You've, you've mentored a lot of, I keep saying this is the last one, but I have a you, You've mentored a lot of marketers through grow class and throughout your career. Is that an advice you would give them to build an audience earlier than later? Or yes, what's your thoughts? Yes. So especially in... The economy that we have right now, you were mentioning like a lot of people are, you know, fearing that they might be laid off. It's a fair, it's a fair fear. Um, there are a couple of things that you can be doing consistently that are always going to serve as like a bit of a parachute for you, mm-hmm. regardless of what happens if you're working full time, if you're freelancing. And those things are your relationships. Your audience is a form of power. So if you have people who are engaging consistently with your content, who you are adding value to um, consistently, that is, you know, that's a form of parachute. So if something were to happen at your full-time job, you you have attention of other people who could potentially help you find your next thing or sell a book or or do whatever you want to do. So that audience is cushion and it's power. And especially for women and marginalized folks, I never want people to be stuck in Mm. spaces where they don't feel safe or valued. And so what you need to be consistently doing in your career is building these different forms of parachute so you never feel like you are stuck in those spaces. Um, So I want you to have a big audience. I want you to have a big (laughs) newsletter. Uh, I want you to have a big, powerful network because those things are going to pad um, some of the harder bumps that you're going to have along the road. That's so good. It's really about ha- giving you more options there. And like you talked about the parachute and you're, I love that, that, you know, you don't, you don't want them to get stuck and giving them, you know, I guess an out if there's, they're, yeah. they're in a place that is not good. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just another form of power that you can start to build for yourself that I want people to have more. Such a fun chat with Sarah. To learn more about her work, you can go to growclass.co. They have a cohort coming up. You can also subscribe to their newsletter, Grow Notes, right on that site. She also has a personal newsletter called We Need to Talk About This. You can find that at wntta.co. 
follower linking on Twitter. All of those links are in the show notes and description. Thank you to Sarah for being on the show. If you enjoyed this episode, you'd love the Marketing Power-Ups newsletter. Share the actionable takeaways and break down the frameworks of world-class marketers. You can go to marketingpowerups.com, subscribe, and you'll instantly unlock the three best frameworks that top marketers use to hit their KPIs consistently and wow their colleagues. I want to say thank you to you for listening and please like and follow Marketing Power-Ups on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you feel like extra generous, kind of leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave a comment on YouTube. goes a long way in others finding out about Marketing Power-Ups. Thanks to Mary Sullivan for creating the artwork and design. And thank you to Faisal Taigo for editing the intro video. And of course, thank you for listening. That's all for now. Have a powered update. Marketing Power-Ups. Until the next episode...